have the chance to win a new car. Go to 802driveforcharity.org today. All right, back for hour number two. We're going to uh, chat with some folks from Circus Smirkus coming up later in the hour. Not part of uh, the uh, group that our first guest is a, is a member of. All right, uh, with that nice cheap shot, let's uh, go to the phone because, you know, I guess I'm on a bit of a roll today. Uh, let's give a nice home radio Vermont welcome this morning to Congressman Peter Welch. Thank you for joining us this morning, Congressman. How are you today? Well, I'm good, but that was hardly a cheap shot. Mm. I mean, that circus smirkus, if uh, you or I had talent, that's what we'd be doing. Well, I was suggesting that you were already a member of a, of a different troop. <laughs> yeah, but not as talented. No, they're they're not quite. They're not as talented. Any uh, so any second thoughts on not this on uh, deciding not to run for governor here in the state of Vermont? That that would have oh. uh, that would have been a bold move. Well, um, you know, I'm homesick, so that's always part of it. But obviously, there's a place to serve in Washington, and it's an important opportunity to serve Vermonters there. And uh, we're going to have a governor. That's an incredibly important place to serve here, but. I feel myself to be very lucky to have this opportunity to serve Vermonters. Can't you get a whole lot more done as a governor than as one of 435? You definitely can get a lot done as governor, uh, but you can also be part of, uh, of trying to fix a Congress that isn't getting the job done. I mean, this Congress has to work for the American people, uh, and it is an extremely important institution. You know, we're going to talk, I guess, a little bit about the highway bill. And we've got to have things like highway policy, energy policy at a national level in order to help the, uh, and help the state succeed. So, mm-hmm. in fact, there, there are different jobs, uh, there are different roles, uh, but they're both extremely important. And my view, Mark, too, is that any of us in any position, you know, you're in the press, everybody's got a role to play. So, to some extent, there's a personal decision that goes into anything that any of us do. Uh, but the real challenge is to take advantage of the opportunity that you have to try to do the most good you can. Okay. I, I missed the, the illusion and what the point was that I'm in the press. Well, I'm saying that the question you're asking me about which choice to make, I'm saying the challenge for any of us, whether we're in politics, uh, we're in business, uh, we're, we're in the media, is to try to use that opportunity we have in that position to do as much good as we can. So it's a choice that all of us are making. You know, when there's a political office uh, that's up for, uh, that's open, then there's a lot of speculation about who's going to run, who's going to do what. But the basic nature of the decision that you or I make, uh, whatever the fields we're in, still has to do with what suits us temperamentally and where we feel we have the best opportunity to serve. And then the real challenge is when you're in that job, to do that job the best way that you can. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, okay. I, I agree with that. You know, there is always that question of how you can best serve. Let's talk about this highway bill. I know you've been really adamant about this idea of having a longer-term solution. But again, another three-month uh, patch job here. What's the problem with doing these continual patch jobs? Well, the problem is pretty obvious. You know, if you're, uh, if you're the agency of transportation and you're trying to do transportation policy and have a plan where you're going to be able to let out contracts uh, for, say, a long-term uh, highway project or fixing a bridge or building a bridge, you've got to have a horizon of, of regular funding that you know is available for you to plan and to execute. And, in fact, when you go short-term, lurch from three-month funding to five-month funding to three-month funding, 
you don't have that horizon. And the reality is that it ends up uh, compromising on planning and oftentimes costs more money because you can't get the advantage of that long-term contract where there's some confidence in what you're going to be able to pay. So it's just we've never had uh, short-term highway funding bills. You know, it's only in the last six years that this has become the norm. Uh, we've had about 35 of them in the, in the past uh, six years. Uh, traditionally, Republicans and Democrats have worked together uh, to get a long-term project where uh, all of our agencies of transportation around the country know what they can count on and then can plan accordingly. So this is just uh, really pretty crazy. Also, the problem with it is there's a lot of ideology on who's going to pay for it. There's some folks in the Republican Party that are arguing that the federal government should not have any role in transportation, that everything should go back to the states. You should wipe out any and all uh, environmental regulations and let the states be entirely responsible for the highways. Uh, and that's obviously pretty crazy because you can't have an interstate that stops uh, at the border of a state. Mm-hmm. Another issue is that anytime there's a revenue requirement, and there is obviously in the transportation bill, Politicians get nervous about voting for a tax. Uh, and that gridlock, and it's particularly strong on the Republican side now in Congress, is stopping them from even putting on the floor uh, various revenue proposals. And one of the things that I'm confident of is that if we actually put a long-term revenue source on the, uh, the table, uh, we'd get the votes for it. There'd be enough Republicans and Democrats to support it. And it's why I've been urging Speaker Boehner to use a procedure where he could put a menu of options on the table, let the House work its will, uh, and then you and everybody else would be able to hold me accountable when I voted yes or no for long-term funding. Mm-hmm. Why has Congress kept doing this? Is it, is it a way to hold other things hostage? What's the strategy? No, I think that it's really gridlock uh, and, and Mr. Boehner's side of the aisle. Um, See, we've traditionally passed long-term funding bills, and what's happened is that this really is a, a conflict within the Republican Party where there's a split. There's some folks that are adamantly opposed to any revenue source, some folks that actually do believe you could just have this all, quote, revert to the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, Mr. Boehner doesn't want to put a bill on the floor unless it has a very large majority of Republicans who will support it, and he doesn't have a large majority who will support anything that includes a long-term funding source. Hmm. And it, it's, he's got a, you know, in the past when he's just put the bill on the floor uh, and work with some reasonable Democrats, we've been able to pass legislation like Violence Against Women Act, uh, like, a, like a budget last year. Uh, and that's really the challenge for him. Will he put it on the floor? Because if he did, it would pass. You know, there's a number of proposals. You know, a lot of people don't like the gas tax, uh, but it's obviously something that can work. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's like $2 trillion in corporate profits that are parked abroad. Uh, and if we bring those back home and, and have a reasonable tax on them, that would provide funding uh, for five to six years of transportation. There's a lot of folks who'd be willing to support that. Uh, so I'm in the camp of being available to uh, actually supportive uh, of whatever Mr. Boehner in reasonably can put on the floor, and I've indicated to him I'd be glad to be the 218th vote, because we have to have long-term funding. Keep in mind, we've got potholes everywhere. Ted Cruz has potholes. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has uh, bridges that are falling apart. Uh, 
John Boehner has a big project that's really important in his district. We're all in this uh, together. And the other thing that's really dismaying to me uh, is that these are 600,000 jobs. You know, we've got good folks who have real skills. They want to get out and go to work. Uh, and there's work to be done. And you can't have a modern economy with a 20, uh, 20th century infrastructure. It's really pathetic. I'm still I'm still not understanding this. So what is it that people are holding out for that's making it so that the only option is this three-month deal? This is an issue that Mr. Boehner has to resolve because this is where the majority has the ability to put a bill on the floor or not. Okay. And what I'm saying is that he cannot get an agreement on his side on how to to get how to come up with a long-term funding source all right that's the problem and what he's got there's not a lack of solutions you know there's a lot of options that are right there and available to provide steady funding for six years for our transportation needs across the country what he lacks is a political consensus so this is not a policy conundrum this is a political impasse but the impasse is really on his side He's got the authority to put a bill on the floor or not. He doesn't have the support that he thinks he needs within his side of the aisle to do that. What I'm urging him to do is to take all of the options that are out there, including from the conservative side of his party, put him on the floor, make us all vote for him. And then the one that gets the most votes, that's the one that will pass. Mm-hmm. Okay. A couple of other issues I want to ask you about while you're with us. The uh, president today outlining a proposal that would, in essence, um, put a value on carbon and presumably a uh, tax on it. What's your view on that? Well, I think you have to put a value on carbon because there is a, there is a cost to carbon. Uh, you know, climate change is real, and the way we've traditionally uh, paid for... Uh, uh, we, we haven't paid for the, the, the consequences of the use of carbon fuels. That's literally what's happened. And a lot of economists, Republican and uh, Democrat or conservative and liberal, indicate if you don't have any cost that's associated with it, you just socialize that cost and everybody picks up the tab. And, of course, we're seeing with the violent extremes in weather uh, how much climate change is costing us. I mean, think about Tropical Storm Irene right here in Vermont. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that was hundreds of millions of dollars. So how do you do that? got to have some market signal so i think that does make some sense how you do it obviously is what's going to be really important uh but you can't ignore the reality that there are real costs associated with doing business as usual where we continue uh increasing carbon emissions that result in wild weather you know right now california is burning how many wildfires do they have out there uh, uh there's a, a wicked drought out in the west uh, we've had wild weather here, uh, and that's going to continue, and you're seeing that around the world. And, in fact, you know, the Department of Defense mm -hmm. is the one that is really one of the most uh, 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 vigorous advocates for having a climate change policy because they're looking over the, <clears throat> pardon me, they're looking over the horizon, and they're seeing what the consequences are uh, to the sea level rise, uh, the resource competition uh, that exacerbates tensions around the world. So... I'm glad to see the president stepping out, and I really will be a voice in Congress advocating for us to do a lot more 
uh, cooperatively to try to address climate change, which is a real and present danger. And not only is it going to create more tension worldwide, but also the Navy talks about not even being able to get their ships into certain ports as a result, too. Yeah, that's, that's right. Be big and this bucks. is not a thing where you can, it's exactly right. And this is not the type of problem where you can wake up one day and say, oh, let's just change our policy, and then, boom, you, uh, you, you've solved it. Uh, this is something that in order to address, we're going to have to start yesterday uh, and have a long-term steady progress that starts to reduce carbon emissions. So, you know, every day we wait, we make the problem worse. Are you on the Joe Biden bandwagon? Well, I'm not on the Joe Biden bandwagon because Joe Biden hasn't started a bandwagon. Uh, but obviously all of us are, are uh, two things. Number one, uh, he's got a lot of goodwill in the, in the Democratic Party. Uh, he's just hung in there. He's been a steady performer. Uh, he's always been there. And people respect him. Uh, and then, two, uh, there's just an enormous amount of sympathy for him, the tragedy that he's been through, you know, losing his first wife and daughter, uh, losing a son that he loved very much. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of personal goodwill and an enormous amount of sympathy for the heartbreak. Thanks for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you. Congressman Peter Welch joining us live on the line this morning. Let's uh, head back to Washington, D.C. Let's pick up on that theme with Victoria Jones. Thank you for uh, um, your patience with me this morning, Victoria. What, is this Joe Biden thing? Is this just a balloon or, or what? It's really impossible to tell. The Huffington Post had this story a couple of weeks ago, and then the New York Times had it over the weekend, the story being that Biden is weighing uh, a presidential run, partly because his now-deceased son, Beau Biden, really wanted him to do it, and partly because VP Joe Biden is looking at potential weaknesses in Hillary Clinton's campaign. Mm-hmm. It's plausible. Okay. There apparently have been hushed phone calls and quiet lunches around Washington, D.C. People have been seen having breakfasts and things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's possible that there's something to it. He has expressed interest in running before. He has run before. It's gone wrong for him before. Yeah, I was going to say, what what does he think is going to be different? His popularity, his personal popularity, seemed to be pretty weak. His personal popularity is quite high. Well, but not in the not in the. I'm trying to remember what he uh, did in Iowa. I think he got like one percent of the vote. Right, he did, but. Okay. Yeah. But that was then. He's more popular now. Mm, He's right. got a lot of personal popularity going for him, but I'm not still not sure that, that he could make it work. Having said that, I'm not sure that he could make it work, and I don't know that they've done any polling on this. Uh, so I don't know whether he could make it work, but I, I, think it's, I think he knows that it's now or never. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, he's 72. Yeah, that would yeah be. but also going out of, of being vice president, you, you, this is the time to do it. it. He can't do it in four years' time, having been vice president and then being whatever, a consultant or a speech giver. Right. He can't do it then. He has to do it now. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, I, I think it's plausible that he's considering it. We're told that uh, in in the story that He's thinking of making a decision in September. That's also plausible. Making a decision any later than that would be crazy. Mm -hmm. 
leaves no time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are apparently some donors who are, who are still not entirely committed to Hillary, although an awful lot of donors have already right. committed to Hillary. Right. What do you think the reaction is of the, the Clinton campaign of this? Are they going to be PO'd or what? Yeah, I wouldn't think they'd be happy. Yeah, I wouldn't either. No. All right. Uh, what else is going on we should know about? Well, you've been talking about the climate thing. Um, President Obama's having an event at the White House this afternoon to announce that. Okay. So that's going on. Well, this sounds like it's just going to be one lawsuit after another that's going to be coming after this. Yes, it's going to be a lawsuit palooza. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, whether it even goes into effect is, is, uh, or when it goes into effect is going to be questionable. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be announced, and then uh, because the National Mining Association is, is wants it to be put on hold immediately, and some states planning to sue almost straight away. So it's that that's going to be the first thing I think we're going to see about it. Mm-hmm. The president's going to be giving a speech on trying to sell the Iran deal to the American public. He's giving that speech at American University on Wednesday. There's going to be a vote in the Senate today on defunding Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So that's coming up. That's uh, going to be yeah, interesting. How, how's that going to come out, do you think? I think that the Republicans are going to struggle to get to 60 votes. Okay. Because they're, they're really going to have to get all, you know, Democrats to come over to their side. And I, I think that Democrats are going to look at the other services that Planned Parenthood provides... And also that these videos have been very heavily edited and come down on the side of, no, this is, this is bogus, and it hasn't even been investigated yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think it's going to go down. Okay. All right. And, of course, the big event this week is Thursday night. Although there's another event tonight. Okay. In New Hampshire. All right. The C-SPAN presidential candidates forum. Okay. You've got 14 of the 17 candidates on stage. Wow. All right. Hmm. This hasn't been getting much play. No, it hasn't been getting much play because Fox News is taking all the oxygen out of the room. But in fact, it's, it's, a, fairer, it's a fairer event. How long are they going to do it for? Two hours. They've invite, they invited all the candidates. 14 have accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you, you may see more actual topics, policy, and real issues debated. What time does that start? 7 o'clock, Eastern. Okay. I mean, coverage starts at 6.30, but the actual event is at 7 o'clock. Okay. And uh, oh, it's just a lot of people to try to... It's a lot of people. It's going to be quite a corral. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, do you know who's doing it for Yeah, Jack Heath from WGIR. Okay. In Manchester. All right. Yeah, I've seen him before. He's good. He's yeah. good. All right. Anything else we should know? Um, yeah, Ban Ki-moon, the Secretary General of the UN, is going to be meeting with President Obama at the White House tomorrow. Okay. So that's coming up this week also. And uh, that's really what we know about. The House has already gone on its five-week vacation. Right, right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's nice for them. Yeah. 
All right. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Victoria Jones works at Talk Radio News Service out of Washington, D.C. She joins us on Mondays and on Fridays. A moment of your time for our friends right down the road at Red Hand Cafe and Bakery. If you're looking for an outstanding place to go for lunch today, make it our friends at Red Hen. You could have one of their great signature sandwiches. They've got a nice little grill there. They can make a uh, fantastic sandwich for you right there. You can also uh, have one that they made this morning. And uh, you can pick those up, bring them with you to work, too. That's a nice thing that you can keep in the back of your mind. If you forgot to make lunch, you can always stop at Red Hen on the way to work and pick up something that you can eat later on. Also, soup's available there, too. Always one in the uh, vegetarian mode. And we encourage you also to stop there first thing in the morning. It's a nice way to start your day. You can pick up a few treats for your coworkers and uh, melt them with one of those uh, maple uh, cinnamon buns. How about a, a few of those croissants, too, and some delicious Danish. And remember, you can also stop there on the way home from work. They close a little bit earlier on Mondays, usually close about 4 the uh, rest of the week, they close at 6, so you can head on in there and pick up a few items that you can then assemble a fabulous meal uh, that makes it look like you've just been working all day long on making that meal. So stop in and see our friends at the beautiful cafe. You can uh, hang out there and use their free Wi-Fi service while you enjoy your meal and all sorts of great other products that you can pick up as well, too, including a nice collection of Vermont beers and also a nice selection of uh, red and white wines as well, too. That's Red Hand Cafe and Bakery right off of Interstate 89, Exit 9, and that's right there in Middlesex. We'll take a quick break. Back after this. Big news. Granite Hills Credit Union is continuing its successful loan special. Now you can buy or refinance a car, motorcycle, or boat with a great fixed rate of 1.99% for 60 months on a new or used vehicle. We've got money to lend right now at this unbelievable low rate of 1.99%. This limited time offer will end soon, so you must act fast. Not a member of Granite Hills? Not a problem. We're open to the community. Act now before our loan special is gone. This low rate of 1.99% for a car, motorcycle, or boat will end soon. And remember, we can refinance your current vehicle, too. Apply online at granitehills.org or call today to take advantage of low loan rates from Granite Hills, your hometown credit union. water damage or soot damage, call SR Services in Montpelier. They're the experts. Don't get discouraged if your home has been damaged by water from flooding or a leaky roof. SR Services has the equipment and expertise to restore the appearance of your home to like new again. They work on tile and grout floors, too. Gray grout lines will be white again thanks to SR Services. For water and smoke damage or professional carpet cleaning, call SR Services at 223-6577. SR Services, 407 Barry Street in Montpelier, 223-6577.
244-1777 is our local number. Toll-free, 877-291-8255. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be uh, broadcasting from Burlington. We're going to have the new Burlington police chief on, uh, an interesting uh, fellow, a philosophy major, as well as somebody involved in uh, criminal justice. Uh, of course, the uh, the big controversy is over some previous statements, written statements that the uh, chief made when it came to uh, 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 profiling. So we're going to chat with him about a variety of uh, issues. That'll be coming up at about 10.15 on the program tomorrow. And a reminder, you know, when we're out on the road, it just it's no different for you to join us. It's just as easy, and we'd love hearing from you, so uh, don't let that slow you down. Uh, you can join us right now on the program at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. And you can also reach us on our toll-free lines at 877-291-8255. A moment of your time for our friend right up the road in uh, beautiful Stowe's Lower Village. And that would be Mike Russell at the Taylor Shop. If you're looking for items to get adjusted inward or outward and uh, you would like to make those happen quickly, our friend Mike is just really an outstanding tailor. It's one of the things when you have experience in a job, he has more than 50 years of experience when it comes to adjusting clothing, men's and women's clothing, inward or outward. So I encourage you to uh, bring your items on up to him. Also, if you need to get any repair work done too, Mike is outstanding when it comes to that. So stopping up and see him in Stowe's Lower Village. He's open on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and on Fridays. And he's located on the right-hand side of uh, Route 100 when you're heading up here from the Waterbury area. That would be on the left when you're heading down from Morrisville and uh, the northern areas. So, And Mike opens his doors at 10 a.m. And leave him as much lead time as you can if you have an event coming up that you have that special item that you would like to have. Uh, as uh, what you wear, and uh, it doesn't quite fit right, well, you know, see if you can give them as much lead time as possible. That is the tailor shop in Stowe's Lower Village. 244-1777, that's our local number in central Vermont, and you can also reach us on our toll-free lines at 877-291-8255. A lot of this discussion about uh, Joe Biden, I think, is also coming on the heels of People being uh, a little surprised at the how well um, how well uh, Senator Bernie Sanders is uh, is doing in the race as well too. Interesting piece by Robert Reich this morning, who was the former Labor Secretary under uh, President Bill Clinton, and he's now at out at the uh, University of California, and is uh, an author and a regular contributor to the Huffington Post is um, uh, so uh, let me share with you what some of his comments were this morning. I thought given his previous position in the uh, in the Clinton administration that I thought his comments <clears throat> really had some uh, more weight to them, shall we say, as a result. Let me share with you what some of the comments he had about, about uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, uh, Donald Trump, Senator Bernie Sanders, and what he calls the revolt against the ruling class. He starts off the piece saying, quote, he can't possibly win the nomination, a phrase that Robert Rice says is, quote, heard most often when Washington insiders mention either Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders. 
Yet, as the enthusiasm for the bombastic billionaire and the socialist senior uh, senator continues to build within each party, the political establishment is mystified. They don't understand that the biggest political phenomenon in America today is a revolt against the quote-unquote ruling class of insiders that have dominated Washington for more than three decades. You know, I'm just going to interrupt myself here. This goes back to the exact same thing, the same conversation that we had in our first hour talking about the consolidation of the health care, uh, the health insurance industry and how the Affordable Care Act came to pass. And our, our uh, guest last hour talking about just the gobs of money that were poured in by the health insurance industry itself, the pharmaceutical industry, all in the pursuit of getting these additional customers that they could continue to make what she felt was, uh, was an unhealthy uh, profit. Anyway, back to this piece here. Uh, talking about, he talk, he's talking about how the uh, po- biggest political phenomenon is a revolt against the ruling class. He goes on to say, and I, you know, I've, I've, I have to, I've, I've really rejected on many cases columnists who try to equate or put lump together Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders as sort of being the two somehow equivalent and being kind of the, the, the two uh, uh, next in line, so to speak, when it comes to these two political parties. But I think in this case, I think Reich makes a pretty decent case here. So let me tell you more about what he had to say here. Uh, first, let's take a call from Burlington. Dale, how are you this morning? Good morning, Mark. I was just going to weigh in on uh, your experience this morning in Deergate. Okay. Oh, uh, Thanks. We're not going to put you in the class of uh, Tom Brady here. Okay. <laughs> uh, just just one thought. Um, at quarter of six in the morning, you could have called a dispatcher, and you know what? They're not going to call anybody out. There's no state troopers on the road at that time. They're not going to call a game warden out. So don't beat yourself up over it, and don't let anybody beat you up over not calling at that time. If you felt like you wanted to now, you could call them, just tell them what happened, get it over with. But uh, for you to get attacked like you did with the decision that you made, um, I thought was out of place. Well, I I, I appreciate your comments, but I I disagree. I mean, uh, you know, I'm fair game here. uh, And if people disagree with the decision I made this morning, I encourage people to, to call and you know, uh, I'm here to I'm here to get educated. I'm here to hopefully get some information out there. You know, I don't want to be uh, labeled as somebody who's not compassionate about animals. I'm an, confident enough in how that, I, that that part was what I was, yeah, you know, uh, referring to. Okay, uh, but uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I I uh, I mean, it bothers me that somebody would think I didn't have any compassion for that lion last week or for this animal this morning. Believe right. me, God exactly. Almighty, I do. But you know, I, so. I I, uh, I really encourage people to call, even if I got to take a hit in the process here. That's that's okay. That's all part yeah. of the that's all part yeah. of the reason I get the big bucks. Yeah, that's where I was going was on the compassion part because you know that I thought that was out of place. At least from what I heard of it, it was out of place. No, well, so, I, I um, you know I, I, let me restate. I have you know I'm, I have great. I was very troubled by what happened to that animal this morning. Believe me, and yes, I was I, very troubled by what happened to that animal last week. I mean, to, yeah, to be decapitated. I could, I could hear Jesus. that in your voice. 
I mean, I think but, bringing it up last week shows a certain amount of compassion. Exactly, exactly. But you know, again, like I said, uh, it's, it was a you know it was a judgment call on your part, and you know I agree with you. You know, what to me, what good would it have done to call then? Maybe if you wanted to call now, just tell them what happened. Eh, maybe yeah. you'll feel better. Maybe the other caller will feel better. But, um, but uh, you know, I I thought you were kind of beat up on the compassion part of it. And I, I just thought that was out of place because I think everybody knows you better than that. So, yeah. um, well, that's, I appreciate you saying that. Any? Um, do you have any questions for me for the police chief tomorrow? What do you want to know from this guy? Uh, well, I think a lot of things were brought out at the meeting two weeks ago, and I really don't think it was, really there was anything there. I mean, they seem to be beating up on him pretty good. And from what I saw of it, I watched most of the questioning that took place. Um, it looked like the protest group that just goes around to every venue they can find and wants to protest something were the ones raising the problems. Mm. Um, I, I can't say that I read the, uh, uh, thing that he wrote. Um, so I, I can't really judge that. And I don't think anybody else there had read it either, um, in its entirety to understand it. Mm -hmm. So, um, he seemed on the surface to be well-prepared, um, handled himself during the questioning phenomenally well, and um, he appears to be a pretty good communicator in the long run. So, you know, I, I wish him the best of luck. It looks like a good hire at this point. And um, as far as questions, uh, just, uh, you know, maybe uh, what uh, what's his take on the drug war, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Because, you know, TJ is trying to fight it. Everybody's trying to fight it. But uh, I think maybe a different perspective coming in from Drug Central, so to speak, um, may help us fight yeah. this war. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, that definitely is a, a big area of our discussion tomorrow. I'll be very curious to hear what he has to say. I mean, it just seems like, I don't know about you, it just seems like trying to clean up all the sand on a beach. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, or uh, dirt in Muddy Park. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I think that's his biggest challenge right now, and it's been our biggest challenge for quite some time, and most people know it, but, uh, you know, they'll come up here with their drugs. If they do get caught, Seems like they get sent back because, for whatever reason, in two years they're doing the same thing and they're back on the road running them back up here. So a lot of money, yeah. apparently. I mean, there must be big, big bucks in this because when Obviously. he talks about <laughs> that, it hasn't even peaked. I mean, that just—I find yeah. that astounding. That you know, here we've put this huge focus on this. The political spotlight has been put on it. Law enforcement, big priority. And, you know, it's still, it's just growing like, like cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, keep, it just keeps getting worse, which with all the efforts we've made, and we have made efforts, yeah. um, that it just keeps growing and growing. So I'm actually looking forward to his perspective on 
working with the communities that he has worked with in New York, where some of this activity is breeding and coming from, um, maybe he has can work together with our sister city, New York City, <laughs> and you know try to try to come up with a different uh, approach to it, uh, or at know. least I... another approach to it. It just doesn't seem like it's a, you know, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it just doesn't seem really that the ultimate solution here is a is a is a law enforcement solution. I don't think you can possibly stop all of these, you know, uh, rats coming through the floor. And, and uh, I mean, the, the, the demand for it. I mean, what is it about people's lives that are making or? steering them to, you know, use these drugs as a way to try to find happiness or contentment. That's what I'm really puzzled about. And maybe with his philosophy major, maybe that'll be a help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what an interesting mix. I mean, this guy's background is just off the charts interesting. Yes, definitely. And that's that's why I look forward to seeing uh, what he can do in uh, working within the city and within really the state and within other states to uh, combat all the issues that face us. Thanks look for forward your... to his, uh, to his beginning. And, um, maybe next time we'll talk, we'll talk about the, uh, new super superintendent yeah. of the schools. Oh my God, that please. Yeah. Have. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for your call. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Two four four seventeen seventy seven is our local number. Toll free eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. This is the new Burlington School Superintendent we were talking about last week, who is hung up in this uh, immigration limbo uh, land here, legal limbo land, unable to get into this country because apparently he's not doesn't have the the outstanding qualifications that immigration is looking for in order to have a Canadian citizen hired for this job as opposed to somebody in this country. And there were some seven or eight criteria that we walked through last week on the program. And apparently the candidate really sounded like one, maybe two of the criteria had enough to uh, to satisfy the authorities. And the question that I had last week was how on earth this got to where it is that people in Burlington must have reviewed this his candidate's uh, background and, and his resume and his applications to figure out that he was not going to have the kinds of credentials that they were looking for. I mean, some of what they, they submitted at one point in, in terms of publications that he had uh, published work that he had done in, in his field, in his academic field, and they turned it something that had never been published, you know, that was in essence a draft, uh, you know, just... Wow, um, some 20,000 now down the road here and trying to get this man into this country, and he's no further closer to uh, the border than he was two months ago. 244-1777 is our local number, toll-free 877-291-8255. Let's go to St. Albans. Good morning, Dick. Hey, good morning, Mark. Let's go back to that conversation we had last week, uh, Bennington. Okay. Uh, importing yeah. druggies from... Troy, New York, and Albany, up into Bennington for the methadone clinic. This is big business. First of all, you got to create the crisis by uh, destabilizing the whole town of Bennington. Then you bring in the solution with all the federal grants to fix the problem. Now, is Senator Dick Sears responsible for this? 
responsible for? I think uh, we better be closely looking at these politicians and uh, their quest for federal money to come in here and keep this uh, uh, failing state afloat here. Just how bad it's going to get uh, to accomplish that goal. All right. Um, what's Dick Sears' connection? What are you talking about? Well, Dick Sears involved, was involved years and years for, and down there in Depot Street in a little rehab center for young children. Uh, we got to ask you, you'd have to ask him, uh, is it smart to bring in heroin addicts from New York into Bennington for their methadone treatment, and when they come up here, half of them stay? I, don't th- I wouldn't think that'd be too smart. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Thanks for your call. I appreciate it. 244-1777 is our local number. Toll-free 877-291-8255. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back after these important announcements. You've decided to set your roots down here. And well over 100 years back, we did too. We're Union Bank. As a local community bank, we know all the back roads, the realtors, and how to get things done locally. That means we can make your mortgage easy because, after all, nobody really does mortgages for fun. Well, except for maybe us. And when you call Union Bank, you get a real person with real answers to your mortgage questions. Now, how about that? Full service, local banking with people who live where you live. So whether it's your first home or your second, we'll provide you with nimble, local expertise, competitive rates, and a variety of mortgage options that help turn the imagined into the realized. At Union Bank, we know you want to go far in life. Banking local can get you there faster. Union Bank. Stay local. Go far. Visit us at your local branch or go to ublocal.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Do you have difficulty reading, writing, or doing basic math? You're not alone. About 35,000 adults and teens in Vermont have low literacy skills. Each year, hundreds of these people decide to build their academic skills by enrolling at Central Vermont Adult Basic Education. CVABE provides free, confidential instruction for adults and teens living in Washington, Orange, and Lamoille counties. Some are learning basic reading or math for the first time. Others are gaining education to earn a high school credential or to secure a job. Many residents are reaching new goals through literacy. It all begins by taking the first step. To learn more about CVABE's free education programs, call 802-476-4588. CVABE proudly thanks Vermont's banks and credit unions for their leadership in our Investing in Literacy campaign. go back in time, we'd all change a few things. We can't time travel, but we can get tested for HIV. On average, it takes 11 years for HIV to turn into AIDS. The Centers for Disease Control recommends HIV testing for every sexually active adult. You can get tested with your doctor or testing is free and anonymous at nearly 40 locations around Vermont. Learn more at 11years.org or call 800-882-2437. something else today too hear that last ad takes an average of 11 years for the hiv virus to develop into aids wow i know i you know i never knew that did you know that wet no i didn't mark and you know 
I think I know everything, but you know, <laughs> this is very humbling. You know, I didn't know that. Uh, uh, yeah. But you know what? I there was one ad that you had on. I don't know if you call it an ad. It shows how incredibly wonderful Vermont is in giving uh, young people and others a leg up in education. Uh, this uh, Center for uh, Basic Education that was on, uh, I think it was free of charge. Just a wonderful opportunity there. And I think you had a VTC guy on, maybe it was the president, I don't know who it was, a couple of months ago, who surprised me uh, and said that if you didn't have the right uh, college and uh, high school credential to work at VTC or get into VTC, they would free of charge give you that basic education to, to get a leg up on a, on a technical education. Mm -hmm. And so I have to give Vermont high grades um, in education, but then again, look at what's going on in Burlington. I mean, isn't this a really remarkable thing? Jeannie Collins uh, apparently uh, couldn't balance the books. I guess that was part of her uh, job. But she had a contract where she couldn't basically be fired. Right. They didn't wish to keep her on or work with her or whatever. Yep. And so she's now got a job down in Rutland County at a hundred grand plus a year. Plus Burlington is having to fulfill uh, its requirements of giving her the rest of her contractual money for the year that she left. Yep. So she's getting two hundred and some thousand dollars a year mm -hmm. down there in, in Rutland County. Now, uh, look at the guy that they brought in from Burlington, Ontario. I have to snicker a little bit. Could there be just some kind of strange connection between <laughs> mm -hmm. Burlington, Vermont, and Burlington, Ontario. I mean, that's just too bizarre. Yeah. That, that when a candidate comes in like that, did they really scrutinize this guy's credentials? Uh, it's, it just doesn't sound... It sounds as though they didn't do it in the right order. I mean, I'm just... I'm, get, I'm trying to be charitable and guessing here. I mean, for them to have not been aware of what the requirements were in immigration, I mean, this guy is not even close no, no, not even close, not even a real published work. I used to work for the INS uh, in St. Albans for a brief time. I really? Was, okay. And I and, and I could tell you that we I trained down in uh, Georgia, at the law enforcement center there, and we just had the equivalent of a whirlwind uh, uh, associate degree in, in legal studies <laughs> down there, and. Uh, I think it was six weeks or seven weeks or something. I think I was gone for, from Vermont for about two months. But anyway, when I got back, part of our training was the qualification for this, these various people coming from different countries and the work permits and the visas and so forth. And I remember from reading the articles on the Internet that this guy from Burlington, Ontario, how could they possibly think that he has that kind of credential? I mean, that, that's the top credential to bring in somebody like the Beatles, or, or uh, somebody that has the Nobel laureate uh, uh, credential, yeah. how could they possibly be so naive? Why didn't they at least consult with the INS uh, before they, they, they went off on this strange uh, journey hiring this guy who doesn't even have the ability to work in the country? It's just it's incredible to me that yeah. they do that. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hearing in your voice and you're hearing in mine, I, I'm expecting, I'm half expecting here, What's going to happen next is that somehow Burlington is going to wind up having to pay this guy. Well, absolutely. He probably has, a, he probably has contractual agreements. Yeah. Absolutely. Just like Jeannie did. I mean, I hope I'm wrong on that, but <laughs> yeah. I, I have a, just well, a you know, bad Mark, feeling it, I'm it, not. Some, some people never learn, and I think the Burlington School Board falls into that class. 
Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, they're you know they're really well-intentioned people on that board. Yeah. They're really, you know, you're you. It's it is the most thankless job in Vermont, and, and yeah. it's a tough it's a tough situation. And there's so many competing competing um, uh, interests up there that that it's tough to f- you know figure out a way to satisfy everybody. Well, I hope it works out because I'm not a resident of Burlington. I I went to Burlington High School, by the way, but, uh-huh. but that's about it. I have a beautiful childhood experience of Bailey's Music Rooms, which was before your time. But uh, as a child, I was I wanted to get into music and at least play music on my record player. Yeah. Bailey's Music Rooms. Oh, that that I, I was so sad the day that closed. Gosh, I'm glad to hear about something that was before my time. Finally. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course you're a young guy. I'm. That's you got to right. realize I I just turned the big seven zero. Yep, you yeah. are. You're ancient. You're yeah, ancient. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm virtually ancient. Uh, but but when I look around and I see some people a little bit more ancient, that that gives me some faith. You see. That's what you know. It's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative. It's all relative. That's right. See you later. Thank you for your Bye. call. Two four four seventeen seventy seven is our local number. Toll free eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. All right, let me uh, wrap up here. Give you some more highlights here from this piece that Robert Reich wrote on the Huffington Post today, talking about the uh, the revolt against the ruling class. He's talking about Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders as being agents of this revolt, and he uh, says that that is in two different ways. He said, let me just share with you what he has to say here. Don't confuse this for the public's typical attraction to candidates posing as political outsiders who will clean up the mess, even when they're really insiders who contributed to the mess. What's new is the degree of anger now focused on those who have had power over our economic and political system since the start of the 1980s. Included are presidents and congressional leaders from both parties, along with their retinues of policy advisors, political strategists, and spin doctors. Most have remained in Washington, even when not in power, as lobbyists, campaign consultants, go-to lawyers, financial bundlers, and power brokers. The other half of the ruling class comprises the corporate executives, Wall Street chiefs, and multimillionaires who have assisted and enabled these political leaders and for whom the politicians have provided political favors in return. I mean, doesn't that define corruption right there for you? My goodness. He goes on to say, America has long had a ruling class. This is interesting. Listen to this. But the public was willing to tolerate it during the three decades after World War II when prosperity was widely shared and when the Soviet Union posed a palpable palpable threat. Then the ruling class seemed benevolent and wise. Yet in the last three decades, when almost all the nation's economic gains have gone to the top, while the wages of most people have gone nowhere, the ruling class has seemed to pad its own pockets at the expense of the rest of America. We've witnessed self-dealing on a monumental scale, starting with the junk bond takeovers of the 80s, followed by the savings and loan crisis, the corporate scandals of the early 2000s, remember these names, Enron, Adelphia, Global Crossing, Tyco, WorldCom, and culminating in the near meltdown of Wall Street in 2008 and the taxpayer finance bailout. Along the way, Rice says, millions of Americans lost their jobs, their savings, and their homes. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court has opened up the floodgates to big money in politics wider than ever. Taxes have been cut on top incomes, Tax loopholes widened, government debt has grown, public services have been cut, 
and not a single Wall Street executive has gone to jail. Reich writes the following. The game seems rigged, riddled with abuses of power, crony capitalism, and corporate welfare. In, a, in 2001, a Gallup poll found 77% of Americans satisfied with opportunities to get ahead by working hard and 22% dissatisfied. By 2014, 54% were satisfied, 45% dissatisfied. Wow, that is breathtaking. From 77% down to 54 up from 22% dissatisfied to 45%. Wow, that explains a lot, doesn't it? The uh, resulting fury at the ruling class has taken two quite different forms. On the right are the wreckers. The Tea Party, which emerged soon after the Wall Street bailout, has been intent on stopping government in its tracks and overthrowing a ruling class it sees as rotten to the core. Its Republican protégés in Congress and state legislatures have attacked the Republican establishment, and they've wielded the wrecking balls of government shutdowns, threats to default on public debt, gerrymandering, voter suppression, and outright appeals to racism. Donald Trump is their human wrecking ball. On the left, Rice says, are the rebuilders. The Occupy movement, which emerged from the Wall Street bailout, was intent on displacing the ruling class and rebuilding our political economic system from the ground up. Bernie Sanders personifies them. The more he advocates a fundamental retooling of our economy and democracy in favor of average working people, the more popular he becomes among those who no longer trust the ruling class to bring about necessary change. Yet, despite the growing revolt against the ruling class, it seems likely that the nominees in 2016 will be Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton. After all, Rice says, the ruling class still controls America. But he writes, the revolt against the ruling class won't end with the 2016 election regardless, which means, he says, the ruling class will have to change the way that it rules America or it won't rule too much longer. Those are the comments on uh, the Huffington Post today by Robert Reich, the former Labor Secretary under President Bill Clinton, talking about the uh, rise of Trump and Sanders. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Thank you uh, very much for joining us on the program this morning. It's always a bit of an adventure, and that's uh, what makes it fun, and that's what makes it hopefully informative for you, too. Have a great day. Come back and join us same time, same place tomorrow. Right here, FM 96.1 WDEV Warren, broadcasting from the top of Sugarbush, and AM 550 WDEV Waterbury Montpelier. News is next.